The Sports Gambling Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas Podcast is presented by MyBookie. MyBookie.ag is the official online sports book of the Sports Gambling Podcast. Props, parlays, in-game wagering, MyBookie.ag has it all. And if you sign up using the promo code SGP50, you'll receive a 50% deposit bonus today. Play, win, and get paid at MyBookie.ag. We're also brought to you by ESPN+. Plus. Log on to SportsGamblingPodcast.com and click the ESPN Plus banner to sign up for ESPN+. Plus. College football, college basketball, MLB, soccer, and exclusive UFC fights. You can't even be a real sports fan without ESPN+. Plus. We are back on Inside Vegas. Look, guys, football almost here. Not quite here yet, I promise. We are getting to all the off-season discussions. I encourage you to go check out last week's off-season story narrative line with the White Whale. But we are digging into UFC 240 this week with Daniel Levy, co-host of Half the Battle on iTunes, one of the best UFC podcasts I have ever come across on our bestfightpicks.com does commentating on the regional scene as well as sponsoring fighters, does everything and everything in the space when it comes to betting inside mixed martial arts. And there is nobody better at breaking down fights. The way he breaks it down so quickly, so, so in-depth. I think you guys are going to absolutely love this. We break down everything, UFC 240 co-main event and the main event, as well as the big picture stuff, philosophy, what to take away from what, you know, how you can start your UFC handicapping, whether it is trends when it comes to weight cutting, MMA, math, public bet percentages. We break into it all with UFC 240. Again, upcoming this Saturday. This Again, guys, this is Daniel Levy of bestfightpicks.com and co-host of Half the Battle on iTunes. Joining me on Inside Vegas with the upcoming UFC 240 event. Nobody else in the biz I would rather talk shop with. Daniel Levy of Best Fight Picks, host of Half the battle, my man. It's been. I was looking at our Skype history before uh, when I was looking up your name to call you. It was uh, it's been a while since we talked, man? A little over a year ago when we did kind of the evergreen handicapping episode when we were doing the niche market series, looking at you know how some things are different and, and everything like that, man. So first and foremost, so good to have you back on. How's everything with you, man? Everything's going amazing, man. I'm stoked to be back on here. Uh, it's really cool to see the success you've had since the last time we talked, man. Uh, really looking forward to that documentary dropping, and let's talk some fights. Yeah, man, let's do it. Before we get there, man, I, I want everyone to go back and listen to that Evergreen episode, of course, because there was so much good info from you when it comes to the philosophy of UFC handicapping. But let's kind of gloss back over that, man, and get a little introduction of you and kind of, you know, what has led you to the best fight picks. Um, you know, professional mixed martial arts, I know you're doing, um, or mixed martial arts handicapping, I should say. I know you're doing commentating as well on the regional scene out there and kind of how your love for this sport grew. <laughs> Man, well, obviously, if we start all the way back, it would be back in high school. I would just see it on Spike TV or maybe you go to a friend's house for the pay-per-view. And I would always play, you know, team sports growing up, whether it's baseball, soccer, even hockey. But there was something that really garnered my attention when I first saw a fight. And ever since then, I've been hooked, man. And then you become a hardcore fan. You start to know every single guy on the roster. And then it becomes a thing where, hey, man. I'm watching all these fights. I might as well get paid to watch them as well, Christian. And and also one of my best friends, 
happened to be, uh, you know, one of the best sports bettors I've ever seen in my life. If you actually go back and check out the first episode of Half the Battle we did in January 2019, I have that guy on my show, my boy Prince Ali. But he kind of got me into the betting side. And then, man, I've just been hooked ever since trying to perfect the strategy. You know, uh, what really got my name out there was the underdogs. And last year, I kind of got away from that a little bit. I was really intrigued about the max bets. You know, I was kind of capitalizing on mismatches. But even when you think you have a mismatch in your hands, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes the 40-year-old knocks out the 26-year-old, as you saw with uh, Uriah Faber versus Ricky Simone. So it kind of shifted my strategy back to what got me to the dance in the first place. And that's the under man. And uh, that's what I've been doing this year. Let's talk about that, bro. Um, so many good things you just brought up. Spoken you know, about Ricky Simone and, and your high favorite. I can't can't even believe that that one happened, man. But when we talk about you know where professionals, and that's one of the best episodes um, that I've seen in a very long time that you did uh, talking with you know particularly talking about you know basically how professionals have really shifted, and you know a lot of them make books and, and everything like that. And there's some great stories out there on that podcast about some stuff going wrong that I really encourage everyone to go check out. Um, you know when you talk about that next level of it. How how have you kind of seen this UFC betting game evolve? And it's, it's you know, the hardcore fans have genuinely always been, it's been engraved, you know, with the ties to Las Vegas that the UFC has. You'll always see betting lines underneath there, you know, kind of regardless of the platform and even ESPN kind of allowing that is, was a little bit of a shock. I know they're trying to break into that, but, you know, how have you kind of seen the UFC betting game evolve, you know, since you got started in it? I mean, honestly, the betting game itself Maybe the the evolution is really in terms of how sharp the odd makers are getting these days, you know, because you don't have, you know, an edge on all 12 fights like you used to, you know, back back in the day, you know, they didn't really know how to handicap the sport. So you can really take advantage of big opportunities. Now they're getting a lot sharper, but certain things remain the same. You still need to go out there and find those underdogs that are going to take care of biz. And, you know, in terms of the evolution. The things that stay the same are the basic principles of gambling. I mean, your money management better be on point, your discipline, all those kind of things. You you can't fuck around just because the sport's changing. But that being said, you got to be a little bit more open-minded these days. You know, I had kind of a old-school philosophy about, you know, parlays are a bookmaker's dream, this and that. And they are. But the thing is that when you're talking about MMA and you do a two-team parlay, and I used to be against parlays for the longest time but this year i've actually been killing it with parlays but my main strategy is still the underdog guys uh you know what i'm saying but let, let me uh, let me let me make this point when you're when you're betting a parlay in football you know a two-team parlay i mean it's not just as simple as two teams i mean it's the two full teams you're depending on all these different guys and you know one guy on that team might go and fuck it up but here in mma when you have a two-team parlay it literally is a two-team parlay you're literally depending on those two people so my mindset's kind of changed a little bit i'm kind of more open to it i still prefer underdogs that's i think straight betting is the way to go long term but i've definitely changed my stance on parlays and i think that there are that there is some value in the two teamers these days and um yeah like i said man you don't have to depend on you know a two-teamer in football might be what how, how many people uh, play on the field at a time uh, christian 11 on 11 man 22 yeah. Okay. 11 on 11. You understand what I'm saying here instead of just two and two. So, or one and one, excuse me. So I've actually uh, changed my stance on the two team parlays. That's one thing that's evolved. 
Yeah, man, I want to echo that because I, th I think the last time we talked, I think you still kind of had that position. I made the case for it, but it's, it's so true, man. And it goes back to everything I say, kind of every episode and what I try to do every sport, no matter what. I find the niche markets and I try to eliminate as much variance as possible. And that's why really, uh, you know, MMA, specifically UFC handicapping has really kind of launched kind of how I do things. That's why I bet baseball first five. I only want to bet pitcher versus pitcher. That's why in the football markets, I tend to focus on player props because it's eliminating that 11 and 11 to, uh, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, you know, matchup specific stuff like that. Or, you know, you'll have switch outs, all that type of stuff. But that's really the biggest thing I've ever taken away from this sport is really trying to eliminate stuff as possible. That's why I kind of lean into the round props because styles make fights as cliche as it is. Um, but, you know, you can Kind of take judging out of it if you think it's going to go to decision and, and that's where the two team parlays come in on the female overs all that type of stuff so cannot echo everything that you just said um you know really any more than than you just did my man but let's you know break this down even further with this upcoming card ufc 240 off the heels of 239 and some pretty wild you know fight cards that have come out of this lately um i want to pick a fight again I, i'm not going to sit here and have you do your show on my show before this you have an amazing show with shakti i know is going to come out later this week for two 240. Um, but I want to kind of give you the floor and, and have you kind of pick out a fight that um, illustrates kind of your points to this um, and, and kind of can illustrate, you know, how you break down a uh, UFC fight and kind of if that differs from, you know, fight to fight. If you look at the odds, I know that a lot, you know, when we've been talking off screen for a little while, the something that we've really kind of taken a little bit more into consideration has been public betting odds. And, you know, the thing with UFC, when you go look at a Don Best, you go look at a Sports Insight screen, you look at the ticket counts compared to, you know, a baseball game. I mean, God forbid, a football game, you know, to this point of fight week on the main event of the, the night, Frank Edgar, and Max Holloway, you're looking at 989 tickets where if this was a football game, that would be in the tens of thousands on the prelims. I mean, you're looking at the Duadu fight at 89 tickets. Is, you know, public betting percentages something you've been trying to take in a little more consideration? Do you largely discount it? What's your kind of take on, you know, public versus square, recreational percentages, all that stuff? I mean, man, I used to put so much more stock into that, but there's something I've noticed, you know, the guy that wins all the time can lose. And the guy that loses all the time can win. So I, I really try to gather my thoughts first and kind of block all that outside noise. I don't want to be influenced by oh, what people are saying is the mush this week and this and that. I kind of just try to take it. Uh, I, I kind of put blinders to all that shit, man, and just handicap it for myself. So, like, for example, this weekend, I mean, you know, you can buy my bets at bestfightpicks.com, obviously. But since we're on the Inside Vegas podcast with my boy Christian Pina, I might as well give some info. You know what I'm saying, man? So look, there's this matchup in the featherweight division between Gavin Tucker and Singwoo Choi. And when it opened, they had Singwoo Choi. He was about plus 165, maybe even plus 150. And the interesting thing about this matchup is that this kid Choi, so in his debut, he went over to Russia. He fought one of the top Russian wrestlers in Russia. He got out-wrestled the whole time. And I think as a result, they're favoring the Canadian here because they just saw this kid get out-wrestled by, you know, a kid who, Evloev, by the way, if you don't know who he is, he's pretty damn Khabib-like uh, with his ability to scramble on top. But what I'm getting to here is that because of that one performance versus style that has absolutely nothing to do with Gavin Tucker's style, the public, uh, 
The public was loving Gavin Tucker, but some sharp action came in on Choi's way because Choi actually has some advantages in this spot. Unlike that fight with Evloev where he had to worry about the wrestling, here with Gavin Tucker, now all of a sudden he's got a big size advantage, he's got a massive striking advantage, and Gavin Tucker is known for going in there. He kind of has a little bit of a poor man's Dominic Cruz version, likes to hit and run. But the one time Gavin Tucker stepped up in competition and he fought Rick Glenn, I mean, let me give you a little preliminary info. On the regional scene, Gavin Tucker was going out there fighting guys with losing records. I'm talking the fight before his UFC fight, he fought a guy with a 7-9 and nine record. Then he goes in there against Sam Cecilia on that UFC debut. And Sam Cecilia, this was his last UFC fight, so he was a shot fighter. And Gavin Tucker, he kind of put on a clean performance. He went out there, won that fight, got his arm raised. But you go back and you watch that fight, Sam Cecilia literally throws zero resistance at him. So it was almost like Gavin Tucker got to go out there and front run, just like he did on his regional scene days. And that's why he got the victory. Then he stepped up in competition against a guy in Rick Glenn, who Rick Glenn, he's known for being a grinder. He's known for being tough, durable. You hit this guy with your hardest shot. He keeps coming forward, right? Well, it's Rick Glenn who's setting a significant strike record and a significant strike differential on Gavin Tucker's face back in 2017. We haven't heard from the kid since, and all of a sudden he's favored here against a better striker. So these are the kind of spots where, look, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, but ultimately long term these are the kind of spots i like to capitalize on because i think Choi has some massive advantages here not only is he the bigger guy you know bigger smaller you know the smaller guy wins a lot so let's not sit here and act like you know it's uh every single time you got a guy with a six inch height advantage and eight inch reach advantage that it's going to be a big difference but in this specific fight where you got two strikers i do like the guy with the six inch height advantage and the eight inch reach advantage and i think Choi. Even though a lot of money has come in his way, I still think at any dog money, he's being undervalued. I think this line should be flipped. So I would recommend taking Sung Woo Choi at dog money, my man. My man. It is music to my ears when I hear somebody talk with passion with us about a sport betting uh, that you do. And breaking down is only you can, bro. And I want to ask you about that. Styles. Every day one handicapping, the two things you'll hear are styles make fights, striper, striker versus grappler, uh, and dogger pass situations, right? I want to talk about styles, man, because um, a couple weeks ago, there was a good example of this when we talk about Chance Country and um, Nardiv. I mean, we looked at the, I looked at this fight, right? And I looked at Chance as just pretty much a worse version of Michelle Prezeris, even though Nardiv got that, you know, huge upset victory. Um, yet, you know, there was a chance because there was not a lot of tape on really all of these guys that Chance would be the better wrestler. Turned out that he was but stylistically it looked like a great fight uh for narrative but just could not get it done how do you take the stylistic matchups of stuff like that in place or do you feel it's kind of almost a you know a largely overblown issue or kind of what your uh, thought process is when it comes to styles make fights as a theory well i think that a lot of people overlooked how damn durable chance for encounter really is because if you watch that fight with Nardiev, yeah Nardiev actually is the more skilled fighter but sometimes the more skilled fighter doesn't always win the fight and there's certain things that you can't handicap and let me let me explain what i mean so in that first round between Nardiev and ren counter Nardiev lands a clean high kick that knocked out many of his regional opponents would knock out many other people but you know, you're handicapping it you pick Nardiev to win via high kick knockout all of a sudden he lands the flush head kick and Chancellor Encounter is unfazed. He's like, oh, that was nothing. He just ate it and keeps walking forward. Those are the kind of things you can't really handicap. That's why when you have a line that wide, you need to consider, well, is this underdog? Okay, he might not be the more skilled guy, but is he an extremely durable guy that can walk through everything you throw? And in turn, if he does that, is your 
you know, very juiced prospect, is he going to slow down as a result? So that's why, you know, even though I, I wasn't the genius that went out there and picked Ren Counter, I didn't bet on Nardiev because I respected uh, Ren Counter's toughness. I saw that fight with Bilal Muhammad. I saw his subsequent fight against Kyle Stewart. I was like, look, he might not be as skilled as Nardiev, but the guy is tough as fuck. And you saw him eat a clean high kick and walk right through it. And I'm glad you bring up that example, man, because there's another fight on this card between Armin Sarukian and Olivier Aubin-Mercier. And every single person this week has been messaging me saying this fight really reminds them of Nardiev versus Ren Counter. And I couldn't disagree more. The reason why, well, the reason why they're saying it reminds him of the Nardiev situation is because, look, Armin is coming off that one UFC fight, which he actually lost, by the way. We'll get into that in a second. I mean, the kid's fucking making his debut in a co-main event in <laughs> Russia against goddamn Islam Makachev. You understand what I'm saying? He should have gotten smoked in the first round. But the fact is, the kid went out there, put up a very valiant effort, got fight of the night, went all three rounds. And now they're giving him a, you know, a quote unquote showcase fight against Olivier Aubin Mercier, who's been falling on some hard times. But Back to this whole Nardiev thing, people are saying, well, Armin, yeah, he looked good in his last fight, but there's all this recency bias. That's why he's this big, juiced favorite. He's going to come out here and pull a Nardiev. I completely disagree. The issue with Nardiev was, look, Ren Counter was a better wrestler than Nardiev. So when, when Nardiev went out there, threw his hardest shots at Ren Counter, and Ren Counter was unfazed, all of a sudden, uh, you know what I mean? Um, the young man, Nardiev, he got discouraged. He got tired from trying to knock him out. He got grinded out. This isn't that situation at all because Armin Sarukian is not about to come out here and try to high kick Olivier. And if that doesn't work, if he doesn't get him out there, he's not just going to roll over and quit. This guy, Armin Sarukian, is a 10 times better wrestler than Olivier Alban Mercier. So basically, I see the fight going. Whenever he wants to get this guy down, he's going to. You know, there could be spots where Olivier is getting off on that body kick. He might he might land a couple shots. He might even do his, his nice Kimura sweep. But I'm telling you right now, Christian, all these scrambles, no matter how exciting they are, they're all going to be won by Armin Saruki. And he's going to find a way to get that in this fight over and over again. And I, I just don't see it being a Nardiev situation because we knew Nardiev's weakness was the wrestling. Even going into that UFC debut against Brazeris, he rocked Brazeris and got taken down shortly after. I will be very, very surprised. If Olivia Aubin Mercy is coming out here getting more than one takedown. I mean, I'll be surprised if he gets one takedown on Armin, but if he gets more than one, holy shit, props to anyone that bet Olivier. But I just really think that people are looking into that narrative too much. It's all about the styles. Nardiev and Ren Counter has nothing to do with Sarukian versus Aubin Mercy. Different styles, different people, different, different weight class, different everything. So just because it happened in that fight doesn't mean it's going to happen in this fight. You got to take into account the styles, man. And I think Armin Sarukian is about to come out here, put a wrestling clinic on Aubin Mercier. I love that you just said that one fight has nothing to do with the other because I want to talk about the other thing people often talk about, and that is MMA math. And I know you have a take on that. Um, and not to you know make this about what happened you know in, in prior stuff like that, but by MMA math, okay, so Chance Encounter would be able to take Michelle Prezeris, and I think it's a, almost a little bit lazy. Do you even kind of you know watch the same? When I first started uh, my UFC handicapping career, that was something I really did kind of take into account. Not the MMA math part of it, but I used any common opponents uh, to kind of gauge how they match up stylistically now people can evolve and, and do evolve and get better and get worse and and a lot goes into that uh but do you take that into account at all either how they matched up against a mutual opponent um or if uh mma math is anything that you even look at i mean i'm always going to go back and watch those matchups but mma math you got to be very careful looking into that shit just because this guy beat him doesn't mean that he's going to be him like look 
James Vick beat Francisco Trinaldo. Francisco Trinaldo beat Paul Felder. Paul Felder beat James Vick. So I just don't see why, oh, well, A beat C, therefore A is going to beat B. And it's just, it's total bullshit. You got to look at the styles at hand, how they match up stylistically. Look at the number, factor that in, take it from there. I love it, man. Completely agree with you. Um, there's a website out there. I think it's like MMAMath.com that you can put in any fighter and it'll tell you basically how they're the greatest UFC fighter of all time by using MMA math. And it's so funny to go in there and see that you can put, you know, Elkins in there, or you can put anybody in there, um, in or, uh, Elias or whoever. And it, it basically gives you like how they could be, you know, whoever in their division. It's one of the funniest things out there. Let's break into these two main events, man. Um, we have Frankie Edgar, probably my favorite uh, hands down UFC fighter of all time going up against Max Blessed Holloway and you know Holloway when he moved up I thought man we may see a even better version of him and the best that he ever looks well, that's not the case I mean Frankie Edgar my god this is what ninth championship fight looking for his third times um, belt man and this is you know one of the all time greats in Edgar that I will never discount um, the line is pretty wide right now we're looking Max Holloway minus 400 at the moment um, warranted, not how, what is your feeling on this line being what I would see, you know, as a casual fan, knowing Frankie Edgar, I would look at that line and think that is a dogger pass situation, regardless of what I think is going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I can agree with the dogger pass situation. I just personally would pass from taking the dog here, even though I love Frankie too. First ever, uh, live UFC event I attended was UFC 136, where he had the trilogy with Gray Maynard, unbelievable. And not to mention one of my original favorite fights was Frankie Edgar versus Tyson Griffin. I mean, for all those listening that haven't seen that fight, trust me, go back and watch it. It's a, a scramble fest for three straight rounds. Unbelievable fight. They got fight of the night. It was one of the first fights that really introduced Frankie Edgar to the public and let them know, like, hey, not only is this guy one of the most exciting, not only is he one of the toughest, but this guy could be a, a potential future world champion. And the fact that not only did he become a future world champion, but Christian, he became a champion at 155 pounds. This guy's five foot six. You'll never see a five foot six guy win the 155 pound belt in this day and age. And back when he did it and he dethroned the great BJ Penn, who, you know, nowadays, a lot of the newer fans, they only see BJ on the seven fight losing streak. They don't understand who he was back then, back when he was the welterweight and lightweight champ. Uh, BJ was a fucking legend at the time. He looked unstoppable at lightweight. I mean, that performance against Diego Sanchez and Kenny Florian. We were thinking, oh, man, he's just going to run through uh, the little guy, Frankie Edgar. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> you had uh, Jason Perlow in the, in the corner uh, between rounds because Frankie, uh, excuse me, BJ was getting a little frustrated because, you know, Frankie's moving and all that. And Jason Perlow with the famous quote, he's like, go, go get that little cocksucker. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll never forget that shit, man. But uh, all that aside, man. The reason the, the line is as wide as it is is because Max Holloway represents that new generation of featherweight fighters and just championship caliber athletes. You know, Frankie Edgar's an amazing fighter, but the reality here is that anytime he stepped up in this day and age, he's gotten badly, uh, badly beaten. And I know someone can counter me and say, well, what about that time he beat young Yair? And this is very true. He did go out there and destroy Yair Rodriguez. In my personal opinion, if they ran it back in 2019, my money would be on Yair. But back then, look, we always talk about these fighters got to take their first L. If you're not that experienced uh, and you're fighting a guy who has the resume of Frankie Edgar, you know, of course you're, you're going to get humbled. But a guy like Max Holloway, who has been paying his dues, he was on that massive win streak at Featherweight. He still is. 
by the way, because the fight he lost to Poirier was at lightweight. Now, the big talk here is, well, what about the damage that he took against Dustin Poirier? Because I, I happened to be in attendance at that fight. It was in my hometown, Atlanta, Georgia, at the State Farm Arena in April. Unbelievable performance by Dustin Poirier. Max definitely took a lot of damage. I cashed that plus 185 on Dustin Poirier. But the thing here is that you can make the argument that, you know, maybe his chin needs a little more time to recover, you know, plus the weight cut down to 45. You know, maybe he's going to be a little more susceptible. I just don't think Frankie Edgar packs that kind of power. I know he knocked out Chad Mendes, who's currently retired. I know he knocked out Gray Maynard, who's been knocked out a bunch, but. I just don't see him doing that to Max Holloway. However, the interesting caveat here is that most of the guys Max has been fighting don't don't uh, don't have a takedown threat. That's what's so intriguing about this fight to me is that this is the first, you know, I'm going to say real wrestler. That's no disrespect to a guy like Ricardo Lamas. That's no disrespect to the jiu-jitsu of Brian Ortega or even a, a Jose Aldo, who's a black belt as well. I'm just saying this is the first, you know, D1 wrestler that, Max Holloway has, I believe, ever fought. Maybe not since Dennis Bermudez all the way back in 2013, but since then, different this Holloway, is the first though. D1 What's that? Different Holloway. I, I almost feel like they're two different people from, you know, when you talk about Holloway of old to, you know, prior to the, what, the 13 oh, fight yeah. win streak. I mean, it's not, it's not even the same guy. It's just when you look at the resume and you want to sit down and watch tape on, okay, who's a guy that has a similar style to Frankie Edgar? You're not going to put on the Anthony Pettis fight. You know what I mean? So you really have to go back, you know, whether it's the Ricardo Lamas fight, whether it's the Dennis Bermudez fight, which I thought Max Holloway won. So it's been a long time since we've seen him fight someone with that takedown threat. And, you know, if you're going to the betting window, you think like, hey, man, Frankie can totally come out here and expose that part of his game. Then maybe you maybe you are justified in taking that shot. But the thing is, okay, let's say he gets a takedown or two. My question is not if he gets a takedown or two. My question is, what does he do with those takedowns? Can he hold Max down and maul him? You know, can can Max get back up? And if he does, will he have enough energy to maintain his distance, get off on his volume striking? Those, those are the big questions here. The reason I don't think Frankie's takedowns are going to be as effective, and I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, Christian. But the reason why I don't think they're going to be as effective is I saw Frankie Edgar against a ghost named Cub Swanson in April 2018. That was his last fight, by the way. So he's coming off over a year layoff, and he couldn't even take this guy down once. And to take it a step further, Christian, this is a guy who he fought four years prior, and he took him down seven times. So if that's not a sign of a decline, I don't know what is because it's not like Cub Swanson got that much better. Cub Swanson was on the worst run of his career when they fought the second time. And Frankie, I mean, maybe. Maybe he was coming off. Actually, what really happened was he was coming off a concussion protocol because he got knocked out by Brian Ortega the month prior. He just had some personal things going on in his life. He wanted to go out there and get a win. There, there's a specific reason behind that. We can talk about that another time. But I was just not impressed with what I saw from Edgar. So even though Holloway's making that quick bounce back, we don't know exactly you know, where his chin's at, this and that. I, I really wouldn't put much stock into that. This guy's Hawaiian. Those chins regenerate. I got Max Holloway. I think he's going to... Put a lot of output, a lot of volume on the great Frankie Edgar and possibly get him out of there. Yeah, man. Uh, God, man, you break down these things so, so well. Look, Frankie Edgar power. Uh, yeah, he's knocked some guys out, but that he's the best point fighter 
um, I've ever seen in the UFC. He's a volume guy, and kind of when I look at this matchup for him, um, Holloway just does everything a little bit faster, a little bit better, and with a little more power uh, at this stage of Frankie Edgar's career. I want to get on to the uh, co-main event, but I want to ask you this one last thing uh, about this fight, because it's the one thing that we did not talk about, and that is the weight cut of Max Holloway. We've seen this time and time again, depleted himself, had to pull out, has been barely able to stand on a scale. Um, you know, when I... The reason I liked him against Poirier a little bit, didn't bet it, but I, I just thought, man, there's a real chance that we see an even better, less depleted version of Max Holloway. Obviously, you know, props to Poirier, anybody that bet him, of course. Uh, are you worried about that weight cut when it comes to, you know, him having to do this all over again? Nah, man, this is a professional we're talking about. This is a long reigning champion. This is a guy who has aspirations to be one of the pound for pound best. So... I really don't see a guy on Max Holloway's caliber coming out here missing weight or this or that. And even if he makes it and it's a struggle, I still see him having the right people behind him to put that weight back on properly, rehydrate, go out there the next day and be able to perform. So I'm not really putting much stock into this weight cut. But, you know, at this kind of price, obviously, you can always wait until after the weigh-in, man. No, no one's in a rush. There's no gun to your head. You know what I'm saying? You're allowed to sit back and wait. But I personally, before the fact... Do not think the wake up will be an issue, Christian. All right, man. Let's talk about Chris Cyborg making her return since her loss to Amanda Nunes against undefeated Felicia Spencer, man. I mean, we're talking minus 400, minus 650 favorites in these two main events. Um, I mean, look, I guess when you look at this from a narrative perspective, depending on what you want to put into that, if Holloway loses and Cyborg loses, is this, you know, a fall for grace from a fall from grace for Holloway and Cyborg? Or, you know, is this both of them kind of getting back on track? Not that, you know, losing a champ champ status to just champ is a fall from grace. But um, there's a real narrative here. If both underdogs come through that, you know, this is a pretty uh, it would be a unique uh, co-main event situation when it comes to Cyborg versus Felicia Spencer here. What's your take on this one? Yeah, I mean, look, if Max loses, I wouldn't quite call it a fall from grace, even though it is, it would be two L's in a row and this and that. I mean, at least he lost, if he loses, at least it would be to a Hall of Famer and to a former champion up a weight class and they could set up the rematch, do all these things. So even though I don't foresee Max losing, if he is to lose, I don't think it'd be some fall of grace. This guy is still very young, what, 25, 26 years old. He'll have plenty of time to pick himself back up and make another run. Whereas Cyborg losing... I mean, dude, I, and I want to be completely respectful, but I've always thought Cyborg was overrated. And that I'm, that's not some after-the-fact shit. Look, I picked Nunes to win that fight. I didn't pick her by knockout. I picked her by submission. But interestingly enough, the fact that I picked her by submission makes me think that there might be some weakness in uh, Cyborg's ground game. You saw that Yana Kunitskaya fight. Yana was able to take her down effortlessly with an ankle pick. And with Felicia Spencer... On the feet, you know, she does have a little bit of that soccer mom stand-up. But, dude, when she takes these girls' backs, and I know – excuse me. When she takes these girls' backs – and I know Megan Anderson might be one of the biggest frauds we've ever seen in the history of the sport. But it seems like these girls get choked out. They get pounded out when Felicia Spencer takes their backs. So what I'm very curious about is if Felicia can somehow close that distance, hop on that back somehow, maybe get a double leg – turn this into a grappling match can she go out there and finish the fight because i know that there's a bit of a weakness in the ground game of cyborg but man it's just kind of hard to say because i haven't been impressed with felicia spencer i don't take much from beating megan anderson like i said i, th I think megan anderson is an instagram model not a fighter so I, I just don't think beating her is that big of a deal but you got a question where's cyborg's mindset at after not just losing her title, Christian, but after being knocked out in a way where 
you were this dominant fighter that everyone feared. And, you know, people thought that, oh, Cyborg, you know, touches you one time, let's ball up and go home. You know what I'm saying? And then Amanda stands up to her in a way, knocks her down multiple times and then puts her out cold. I don't know where Cyborg's head's at, man. And you've seen some of these fights where people are looking at Cyborg like this killer, like this destroyer. And the fights are, are kind of like, okay, they're one-sided for sure, but they're not the brutal beatings I expected, okay? The Lena Landsberg fight, you know, I expected that to be done in half a round. She made it to the second round. The Tanya Evinger fight, you're seeing girls go out here, absolutely mop the floor with Tanya Evinger. Tanya's going into the fourth round with uh, Cyborg. Holly Holm, you just saw her get head kicked, knocked out in the first round. Holly Holm's going out there taking Cyborg five rounds. So I just kind of don't think Cyborg is... You know, the person that people say she is, I think Amanda Nunes is that person. I think Amanda Nunes is the world beater in all women's MMA, not Cyborg. But that being said, she probably still has enough to come out here and beat Felicia Spencer. I mean, look at the price tag. It's there for a reason. And I'm going to ultimately pick Cyborg, but I'm just going to say this right now, Christian. If Felicia Spencer takes the back of Cyborg, do not be surprised if we see an upset. I love that take, bro. I want to ask you a couple of things uh, when it comes to trends and stuff like that before I get you out of here. There was a couple, there's been a couple out there. Um, one was, uh, this was about a month ago. I got to be honest with you. I haven't gone back and looked at this off the top of my head. I'm sure you probably have it at the back pocket, but underdogs were about what, uh, 12 and seven in the UFC main events this year in 2019. Um, it was a, it was an underdog showcase for sure. Um, when you go through here, Cejudo, Poirier, Francis, Nganu, Gaethje, RDA, Cowboy, Smith, Hermanson, Masvidal, Pettis, um, and on and on. Uh, Korean Zombie was in there. There's a couple others um, that have come to fruition, man. Um, it does speak to, you know, kind of your underdog mentality, but I want, there was also another one out there um, that was... Uh, somebody who missed weight, it was like 85% for the last year um, because people stopped depleting themselves and just said, take my 20%, I'll make it back up in my win bonus or go for fight of the night and I'll be less depleted. And the last one I wanted to talk to you about um, was one that I learned from you, man. And I really want to give you all the props and credit in the world is something I've really taken advantage of in my UFC handicapping. And it's a situation that presents itself in this Chris Cyborg fight, which is uh, fighters, once they lose their title fight, um, it's such a letdown. And when you look at that, I mean, it's so obvious, you know, why didn't I think of that? Right. It's, they just had their dreams taken from them. We saw this with Ray Borg. Um, we've seen this time and time again, you work for something your whole life. It's right out in front of you and you're not able to break through and obtain that. Uh, it can be a, you know, mental killer. Um, any of those that we talked about, you know, do you really put any stock into or is everything kind of a unique case by case basis before I get you out of here, bro? It is definitely a unique case-by-case case basis, but you can always factor stuff from those examples you mentioned, you know, the coming off the title fight loss. I mean, you know, there, it's not 100%, right? But you just really gauge the motivation of where they're at. I mean, these fighters all have one dream. I know I know, there's certain guys that just want to stack the paper, you know, make nice money, get in, get out, that kind of thing. But the majority of the fighters, right now. <laughs> exactly right he, he doesn't even know what he wants but look the majority of these fighters you talk to them you ask them what their dream is their dream is to be a world champion right so you make it to that stage where you get the chance to accomplish your ultimate dream right your ultimate goal and not only do you lose but you're battered you're beaten and now you got to come back and make that climb all over again i mean it makes sense why these guys can be unmotivated coming off the title fight loss for sure so definitely when they're coming off that title fight loss Pay close attention to the shape they're in, the stylistic matchup. Obviously, that's paramount. The number, the betting number is also one of the top things you got to look at, man. Um, and then as far as the weight missing thing, so 
you got to be careful with that, okay? Because there was a fight between Brian Ortega and Renato Moicano, right? And Brian Ortega, he was the last person to weigh in. He looked like death. I mean, we were like, yo, man, you better pull out of this fight, dude. You looked awful. And we're like, oh, man, let's let's fucking bet the house on Moicano. He's about to – you're telling me this dead guy is going to come in here and, and win the next day? What you guys got to understand is – how a fighter looks on Friday does not determine how they're going to look on Saturday because these guys have their weight cutting processes in a way where let me let me just give you a personal example because you know I sponsor fighters and I'm not going to actually name this guy I'm talking about cuz I don't want to you know put him out there like that but one of my sponsored fighters who he's fought in PFL he's fought in LFA all these things right actually one of his past opponents is headlining a contender series tonight, but that's, that's a story for another time. But so I was with my sponsored fighter right on, on Thursday, which was way in day. And I mean, dude, like I have to drive him everywhere. The guy's cramping <laughs> up in my car. Like we're, we're like, just, just hang on, man. Just breathe, buddy. You know what I mean? We got to put ice on his head. I mean, basically it looked like a dude where, you know, you rush him to the hospital and get him a bag full of IVs because the guy looks malnutrition and all, all malnourished, all these things. It's like, oh, man, he, he looks like in really, really bad shape. But then the next day, well, let's not even talk about the next day. But then after he weighs in, guys, there's this big window where these guys are able to put that weight back on. And a lot of guys have their own methods to do that. And they come in the next day looking like a completely different person. So my sponsored fighter who, you know, was on death's doorstep on Thursday, the next day he goes in there on Axis TV fights and puts on a fucking clinic and looks like a completely different guy, put on 20 pounds. So you have to be very, very careful when analyzing these weigh-ins. You can't just say, oh, he looks like death. I'm a bet against him. Well, it's not just about that he looked like death on the scale. How did he put that weight back on? How is he going to perform the next day? That's what really matters. So I would recommend more looking at the history of how these guys look uh, on the scales and then how they perform the next day. So, for example, you know, a guy like James Vick, and now, you know, he's kind of at the tail end of his run at 155 pounds. I would recommend the guy moves up to 170. But back before this three-fight skid, he was nine and one in the UFC, right? Nine and one. That's a 90% win rate. We used to call him Mr. 90%. And all these people had these issues about, oh, the guy cut so much weight. How's he going to perform? How's he going to do this? How's he going to do that? It's like, well, we've actually looked at all his past weigh-in footage, seen how he looked bad, then compared it to the next day on fight day, see how much weight he puts back on. These, it's a completely different person. These guys are able to go out there and perform. Now, granted, it's not going to last forever because, as you see, now it's finally starting to catch up to a guy like James Vick. But what I'm trying to get at here is that you cannot just put so much emphasis on how they look on the scale because these guys have methods and ways to put that weight back on and go out there and perform the next day like it never even happened. My man, nobody breaks it down better than you. The last thing I want to ask you about because we would be remiss if we didn't talk about what this could mean for combat sports and mixed martial arts. Uh, it's a sad day in the combat sports department, man. I mean, Russian boxer Maxim uh, Dadashev dies after, you know, sustaining the brain injuries that he did in his fight. Um, you know, it is a sad thing. It's a tragedy thing. I want to ask you about, you know, God forbid, knock on wood. I don't even want to put this into the universe, but this is what it is. 
if anything like this were to happen, I mean, you're talking about four ounce gloves and truth be told, again, knock on wood, God forbid, I don't know how it hasn't happened yet, you know, and how far this sport has come being called, you know, human cockfighting and in its inception uh, to where it is now. Um, you know, what would this mean for a sport if there was, a, for this sport in UFC, in mixed martial arts, if something like, you know, what happened to him were to happen inside the UFC's octagon or a national stage, pay-per-view type of level, you know, in front of the world. And, you know, the Jessica I situation comes to mind um, you know, Overeem against Ninganu. I mean, I don't know how this hasn't happened yet. I'm so thankful that it has not. Uh, but, you know, God forbid, if this was to happen, what do you think the impact on mixed martial arts and UFC would be? Well, firstly, just want to send my condolences to the family of Maxime, you know, RIP, man. That's, you know, it's terrible, man. When we watch this sport, I think a lot of people forget what these guys are going in there and doing. You know, if these guys are, you know, trying to take each other out and it could be, their last day ever so the fact that maxim went out there literally on a shield you know i can only tip my cap to a true warrior not just in the ring but in life to to just to, to make that walk and get in there and you know knowing that he died doing his passion i mean i just got so much respect for that guy but as far as what would happen well obviously we hope that never happens and the thing is it's happened on regional scene MMA shows in Brazil and Ireland. It's never happened in the UFC, and hopefully it never happens. And the closest I've seen is, I mean, we were talking about this earlier, that Gavin Tucker versus Rick Glenn fight, man. That shit should have been stopped a long time ago. Now, if this is to happen, I really wanted to jump around the question and not answer it, but if this is to happen, I mean, holy fuck, it would be the biggest controversy ever. But the thing is... We got, for the most part, these corners are on top of shit. They can throw in the towel. These referees, you know, as, as much as we like to make fun of them, there hasn't been a death yet in the UFC, man. So let's just keep it that way. And, you know, safety first. Look, these guys are coming in the best shape of their lives. I don't know what kind of shape uh, the, the boxer was in. I assume great shape. But that was that's a different sport, man. Uh, you know, I, his corner should have stopped that fight. You know what I'm saying? But no, there's no blame here to you know i'm not pointing any blame or anything like that it's a sad situation i just hope it never happens bro you know what i mean i hope that the officiating the refs the kind of shape these fighters come in their corners as long as everyone's on top of that shit hopefully we can prevent that ever happening couldn't agree with you more, man. And again, follow him on Twitter at uh, Best Fight Picks if I can talk. Tell everyone else where they can listen to you on Half the Battle. My God, man, you broke down a bunch of fights in quick fashion and more descriptive than I could ever be, man. So when is the show coming out for uh, UFC 240 on iTunes, anywhere podcasts are found, and as well as bestfightpicks.com if you want to purchase uh, Dan's bets for the upcoming event and any bets in the future, my man. Tell them where they can get at you. Well, firstly, man, thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk fights with you and just talk the betting game with you. You're my boy, and I really am glad, like I said at the beginning of the show, to see you doing your thing, man. I can't wait for that documentary to come out. And I just wish you all the best, man. It's cool to see, you know, like-minded individuals out here doing things the right way. And you know what I mean? Trying trying to spread the positive message, man. So I really appreciate you and thank you for having me. And also thank you to all your listeners, man, for getting to this point in the show. You know, thank you guys for giving me a chance. I really appreciate that. Uh, my show is called Half the Battle and you can find it anywhere that you find podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, all those places. Just type in Half the Battle. And there's a bunch of other spots too that I just learned that we're on as well. My bets, bestfightpicks.com. Um, been this is this is about to be my fifth year uh with a track record you know third party track record is about to be my fifth year tracking and about to be five and oh on years too christian you know what i'm saying uh so man just gotta just gotta keep grinding just gotta keep my head down 
you know, stay humble, stay positive, and uh, the results will follow, man. So uh, thank you again for having me, and uh, I wish you the best of luck, and half the battle will be out later this week. Awesome, man. Again, 5-0 and on years is no joke. Cheers to you, my man. And again, UFC 240 pay-per-view upcoming on ESPN+. And as you know, this show, Inside Vegas, brought to you by ESPN+. The fights we talked about, Holloway and Edgar, Chris Cyborg, Felicia Spencer, Want to hear the rest of the breakdowns for all those fights? Go tune in to Half the Battle at Best Fight Picks on Twitter, bestfightpicks.com. Everything and everything you will ever need from a UFC event is by Daniel Levy and his co-host Shaq on Half the Battle. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. We will talk soon, and good luck this weekend on all your fights, and enjoy them, my man. You too, brother. Thank you again. As we talked about, this show brought to you by ESPN+. Plus. All the fights upcoming, you can check them out on ESPN+. Plus. They have an amazing lineup that is upcoming, including Dana White's Contender Series. We also have Inside the Mind, Daniel Cormier, coming up this week on ESPN+. Plus. The UFC events do not stop on ESPN since this new television deal, and I can't implore you enough, go take a look at that if you are a UFC fan, but it does not stop there. They have all kinds of original content being brought in as always. MyBookie.ag. You want to bet on UFC? Lines are up early. Go take a look. MyBookie.ag. Promo code SGP50. And do not forget, guys, their own super contest, a quarter of the price of the Las Vegas Westgate super contest, $100 no vig, no rake, everything into the prize pool and goes right back to the prize structure. Again, that is mybookie.ag. Promo code SGP50 will get you a 50% deposit bonus today. Mm-hmm.